Uh, if, if you are not ready, uh, I'm, I'm going to pray now that, that you get ready, okay? And uh, th- there is, there is a, just an insane amount uh, of stuff on, on my heart, in my head. I want to pray for focus for me. Uh, I want to pray that each of us hear uh, from uh, the words of the Lord tonight and not of man. And I want to pray that um, if you've walked in here, if you're sitting here now, uh, feeling, um, feeling numb, I just want to pray right now that, that God would wake you up. So is that cool? I'm going to pray that and then we're going to go. Is that cool? All right. Cool or not, we're going to do it. Let's pray. So, Father, right now, like only you can, I would ask uh, that you would awake the sleepers from their slumber, that you would encourage those, God, who have, uh, who have come in here, Father, uh, hurting, struggling, uh, complacent, for those, God, that are alive. I pray, Father, that you will just continue to fuel the life that's in them. From your word, I pray for conviction and deep truth to speak powerfully. And I would ask God that for your glory and namesake, that not a single one of us, God, would leave here unchanged. We pray all this in your great name. And all God's people said. I want to start where we'll end uh, tonight. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says. I want to end here, and and begin here rather, where we're going to end because uh, this really sets the direction for where Paul's going tonight. Some some defining of terms. Redemption means this, a releasing by payment of a ransom. So in Christ, anyone who's in Christ, uh, the ransom has been paid and you've been released from that uh, debt that's been put on your head, put on your life. Okay, he has paid it. And then more specifically, though you may think you understand it, forgiveness means this. Next slide. A release from bondage, pardoning of sin. And I love this. This is the actual Greek here. Letting them go as if they have not been committed. So what's amazing is, what I recognize is, when we gather here together, okay, we come from an unbelievable amount of different perspectives. I mean, just today, the differing experiences that we have all encountered just today, just in the last three hours, is unbelievable. So we continually need to remind one another what it is that unifies us. Uh, So for those of you that have come in here distant from God, flipping God off, not interested in God, seriously, we're so glad that you're here. We're we're grateful for your curiosity. We're we're grateful for your life, okay. Uh, But there's a different kind of unity that those of us who are in Christ share And that's that those of us who are in Christ share the unity that together our ransom has been paid. We have been forgiven. Our sins are as far from the east as from the west. That's our our unifying uh, truth tonight. And so I I just want to unify in that. And seriously, if you've come in here sleeping, like, it's time to celebrate tonight. We have been forgiven of our sins. Our ransom has been paid. And we have great reason to praise God. The Lord tonight. This is where we'll end, but we have much, much work to do before we get there. So turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9, travel all the way to verse 14. It'll take us all of three hours. Um, this, uh, this letter, as I've shared the last couple weeks, we just started, was written to a very small um, city called Colossae. Uh, this city was a city that, that Paul was never um, at. Though he planted many churches and was uh, at many places, he was never in Colossae. 
apparently a man who heard Paul preach in Ephesus, a, near, a nearby town, uh, traveled from Ephesus and then planted the church in Colossae. So I want to pick up where we've left off here in verse 9. And my friend, seriously, if you're not ready, uh, it's time to get ready now. And so he says in verse 9, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so he says, from this day we heard. Well, what, what, did, what did he hear? What did Paul hear? He showed us in, in a few verses ago, starting in verse 4 of Colossians 1. Here's what he says. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this we have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in, is in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul hears in the prison cell that this church in Colossae is growing. Their faith is uh, thriving, though maybe immature. There's a lot of uh, fire in their hearts, passion uh, for the Lord. And so what he says in verse 9, so from this day we have heard, look at this, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is kind of a damning statement because you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like Paul's one man, and it seems like he's saying that he never, ever stops praying ever for Colossae. But there's a whole lot of churches and there's a whole lot of people that he's ministered to. So how is he constantly praying for, is he just like, dear God, thank you for Colossae. Dear God, thank you for Colossae. Like, is that, is that his life, right? Uh, if, you've, if you've seen the other passage in the scripture that says much the same, a pray without ceasing, okay? It can be discouraging because you're like, what does it really mean to pray without ceasing, right? Or is my head always down or my hands always crossed or folded and am I just repeating things all the time? Well, the word uh, cease here carries with it not the sense of a continual forever, but carries with it more a sense of urgency. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, I am praying for you urgently. So uh, imagine this, right? Like, um, when was the last dinner time prayer that felt urgent, right? And maybe some of you guys have had some, right? Because you've been fearful of the food that you're getting ready to eat, you know? Like, dear Lord, protect us from the salmonella. Like, nobody wins the food poisoning. You know that. God, please help us, right? And so, so maybe that felt urgent. But when was the last time at one of the most remedial prayers in our culture, like you heard your dad or you heard a friend pray urgently with a trembling voice, with, like, trepidation in their heart, with the fear of God as the food that was warm was sitting before you, they knew it's time to pray now and pray urgently, Right? Well, what I'm saying is we pray so lacklusterly. Instead, Paul in a prison cell for people that he's never met is praying with fervency, is praying with urgency. Why? You'll remember that there is this uh, heresy, this heretical teaching that is making its way to Colossae. And so he's not just writing this letter to help protect them and encourage them. He is praying urgently because he knows that he's praying to a real God. His prayers aren't hitting the ceiling of a prison cell and that he knows and believes that God can answer these prayers. And so he prays urgently. You pray as urgent as the depth of your belief that God will answer. If you, if you don't think that God will answer, you won't pray urgently. You'll just pray, you'll just pray because it's a practice of yours. It's a habit. Or it's something that you're supposed to do. You'll pray urgently when you believe that your God can heal and come and rescue, right? So that's what he says. He says he's praying without ceasing. I haven't ceased praying for you. I'm urgent in my prayers. And then look at this. This whole passage is like a, is like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, do you guys remember Tetris? 
Praise the Lord, right? So um, I got to play a Game Boy a couple days ago. <laughs> Listen, here's how old the technology is, right? How old is the technology of a Game Boy when there's no, like, backlight? Remember this? When you have to play in the daytime. Do you guys remember? Like, this was my childhood. When you had to play video games, like, when the sun was, like, hitting it at the right angle, you know, right? So a couple days ago, I got to play Tetris. And that's a lot like what this verse is. It's, it, it seems like Paul throws everything awesome into one verse, and you're trying to figure out how it all fits together. And I pray that you'll see this by the end of the night. Here's what he says. Look at this. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. No big deal, right? Like he just, like I, I pray that they'll know your will, God, and that they'll deepen their understanding of who you are. I mean, this is a heavy, heavy prayer. So in light of that, I want to ask you guys this. You, if, if like you and, you and I were just talking, have a conversation, here's my question. Do you want to be filled with the knowledge of his will with spiritual wisdom and understanding? Is that a desire of yours? Okay. At the turn of the new year, the turn of the century, whatever it was, um, people start dieting like crazy. Just in a moment of confession, how many of you guys started dieting January 2nd, okay? January 1st doesn't count because you, you, it's a holiday, right? And then January 2nd doesn't count because it's the 2nd, right? But anyway, so if, if you and I are having a conversation, you're like, yeah, Mark, I'm starting to diet, okay? I'm like, oh, cool, that, you know, that, that's awesome, way to go, right? And, 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 and then I ask you, so, so are you going to like, so, you know, what's your plan? Are you going to change what you eat? And, and what if you were like, no, like, of course not. Like, come on, man. Well, what, what do you want me to give up all this awesome stuff? No, I'm not going to eat, right? Um, or give up what I eat. And, and then I were to ask you, okay, that, that's interesting. So are you going to like, are you going like, to like exercise, right? Because if you're not going to give up what you're eating, you're going to have to probably exercise about twice as hard. No, I'm not going to exercise, right? Like, I'm just going to diet. Okay, but like you, like there's a process there, Right? Like, maybe you found the magic pill or something somewhere, but, but like, dieting's pretty easy. You, you eat differently and you exercise. Well, all of us would say, like, that would be the most ludicrous statement ever. And yet, one of the most famous Christian lines in the world is, God, I want to know your will. And then we say things like, oh, cool, you want to know God's will? So, um, man, are you, are you just, like, eating the scripture because, man, if you desire to know his will, like, good thing is, like, this book is packed with his will. I mean, promise after promise, will after will, like, all, man, it's, it's here, so you're engulfing it, right? And most people, right, who say they're desiring to know God's will, and the, and the question, are you engulfing the scripture? Well, no, I mean, seriously? You, you expect me to read this ancient book, you know, like it's some ancient scroll or something that I can't understand? Uh, okay, maybe you're struggling to understand God's word. So are you, are, you, are you pleading to the Lord for him to, sh to show you his will? Uh, uh, James chapter 1 says that he gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. So are you standing on that promise? Are you asking God to claim victory in that promise? And the answer consistently from maybe uh, some folks that you know or, or you is no. So in other words, we want to know God's will. We want all the wisdom that comes from God as long as it fits our idea of what his will should be. And as long as it doesn't cost us anything. 
As, I, God, I want to know your will. As long as I don't have to read your scriptures to learn your will or study who your character is or talk to you. So outside of any of those things, God, please show me your will. And only if it's awesome. Right. If your will has anything to do with something that's not awesome, I'd rather not know your will. And then I'll, I'll, I'll cuss at you for causing these things to happen. Like, like this, is, this, is, this is me. This is us, Right? We want the things that we say we want, and then at the end of the day, we're not putting action to them, and that's why Paul is praying these things. I want you, he's saying, to grow up. You have to grow. They're young in their faith, and if this heretical teaching is coming, he's saying, you have to grow in your understanding of who God is, of what his will is, of, his, of the wisdom that comes only from him, if not... When the teaching makes its way into Colossae, you will be easily swayed. And man, some of you guys are so vulnerable for teachings of the culture. I'm serious, like, some of you are so, so close to just like full-on New Age-ism, okay? Or full-on just like works-based stuff because of teachings that you heard or things that you are infiltrated by. I was celebrating last night. I was uh, sitting in the hot tub at my house with a, a good friend that I knew in college. And uh, this sounds weird, I know, but just give me a second here. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, all college was a very much a non-believer. Uh, man, we, we just, I, I poured into him and built awesome friendship. had a lot of great conversations. And uh, they just started going to church about five or six months worth. And I was so excited to talk to him about it just to hear like what he was processing, right? And so, for whatever reason, like in the moment, I just felt like I needed to lay out like the purity of the gospel. So I was like, dude, like you've heard, right, that you can't do a darn thing to earn God's love. You've heard, right, that, that like there's, there, there's nothing that you can offer God. You, you, you've heard, right, by being in church for five or six months that, that Christ has paid like every piece of your penalty, that you're completely forgiven. And I was getting like fired up in the hot tub. It was starting to get hotter up in there, right? And... And I said, like, you've heard these things, right? And he looked at me and he said, all of this is new to me. And in my heart, I was just like, no, like this, this can't be so. I'm celebrating that they're in church, but friends, don't be confused. Just because it has the name church on it. Just because people say that they're a part of Christianity doesn't mean that they are Christ-exalting. And how are you going to protect yourself if you don't understand who God's character is, what the Scripture says? You can say you want to know as well all you want when it comes to making a college decision. But when he gives you the answer that you don't want to hear, and you turn your back, please stop saying that you want to know his will. Okay. So he said, I'm praying for this. That you'll grow, that you'll learn, that you'll understand. And check this out, verse 10. Love this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Anytime in the scripture I see the word walk, I instantly think of a nice little poem. Um, all right? You guys remember this one? And listen, I don't want this to be offensive to anyone who has the footprints in the sand tattoo, okay? Because the, the, the likelihood of someone having that is high. So, so don't hear anything I'm about to say is offensive. Just a little bit offensive, okay? 
Um, anytime I hear the word walk in the scripture, I instantly think of this poem. And if you've never heard of it, let me summarize it real quick for you. So one day, I was walking on the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. And the Titanic theme song was playing. And, uh, and then I turned around and Jesus picked me up. And then there was only one set of footprints. That's pretty much the poem, okay? I've actually never even read it, but I think it's something like that, okay? <laughs> something like that. <laughs> the truth behind the poem is actually pretty legitimate. You know, he, he carries us, which is certainly true. He's our strength, certainly true. But when you think of walking, it has way more to do with Scripture than it does with a poem. Here's what God tells Abram in Genesis 17. Check this out. When Abram was 99, he's getting up there, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk. He's telling a 99-year-old dude to walk, right? Walk before me and be blameless. So God says to this man that journeying with me has everything to do with, with like walking with me. Paul tells the church of Colossae, like walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord. God tells Abraham way back when, walk with me blamelessly. Paul affirms this in Thessalonians. Check this out. This teaching he continues. We exhorted, verse 12, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So all of this kind of action that has to do with walking and pace and rhythm. And some of you are really encouraged because you hate running, okay? The problem is Paul also says, run the race, okay? So, like, there's, there's this balance, okay? Uh, the last passage here we see Paul also say in Ephesians 4, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is this, this pace, this rhythm, this connection between walking with the Lord and growing, Paul wants this church to grow. My question for you is, are you growing? I fully recognize many of you guys feel like this tonight. <clears throat> Next slide. Many of you guys would say, I remember a time where I was bearing fruit. Uh, I remember a time where I was passionate about the Lord. I remember a time where I was following him. I, I remember a time um, when there was some like urgency or, or, or fervency in my heart, but now, now I feel like, like I'm dried up, that I'm in some desert, there's no source of life anywhere around. I feel like any fruit that I had is now gone. My question is, he wants this, this church to grow so much, how do you know if you're growing? Like, like how do you in Christ know that you're growing? I'll show a little help if you can. I know for a second this will be a little bit awkward because you think maybe the electricity has gone off. I'll show a little help here if you can. Okay. I know some of you feel like you're getting arrested right now, right? Like, <laughs> this is, for some of you, this is a very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, that's good. That's good. How do you know if you're growing? How do you know if you're growing? Okay. Um, there are many gauges 
I just want to talk about one tonight. Um, so when the lights go out, especially you guys here in the front, um, and everyone's kind of chilling, and then all of a sudden the light from heaven shines in your face, you know. Some of you guys are, you know, ducking. Do you remember the last time that uh, you were in a car and you had to pull down the little, the makeup looker thing? Like, what did they call that? The visor? The visor in your car. <clears throat> and you had to pull that, you had to pull that down because the sun was shining right in your eyes. Um, and your eyes were insanely sensitive to that. Or just now, like some of you guys, especially in the front, like, you know. Um, you know if you're growing, if you're sensitive to sin. Uh, what scripture says is that in him there is no darkness at all. None. Zero. You know you're growing in Christ uh, when you walk into a situation that is very, very dark. And not only you become that light in the room, but you just become insanely sensitive to the reality around you. Um, in other words, like, like you hear... Um, a tremendous amount of foul language and it like, there's something in you that is just, just breaking. It doesn't create this hatred towards people. But in your heart, you just become sensitive to the sin. For those of you guys that are in a relationship and that one night, right, where it gets a little bit too late and you're hanging out a little bit too long and pretty soon, you know, things get beyond where they should have. And in that moment, like your heart just, it just breaks. It, it, it causes instant repentance. Some of the most victorious stories I've heard in those moments are, are where husbands or, or where a boyfriends and girlfriends in that moment just literally weep in repentance. Like, God, we never want to get back here again. Lord, please forgive. And they're just so sensitive to sin, like in the moment. You know you're growing in Christ if you're sensitive to darkness. If it's like the light becomes so blinding in your heart and in your life that stirs like very quick, instantaneous repentance. You hear people start talking negatively about someone else and you're very quick to either step in or walk away. Like anything that's demeaning people, any kind of hatred, all of the things that are fruits of the Spirit, you just find yourself uber sensitive. That is a massive sign of someone who's growing in Christ. Because they're being consumed by the light. They're learning more about God's character. And so then, if there is no darkness in him, when they get around it, it's not that they hate the people who are indulging in it because you were once there yourself. It's just you know that the darkness has been overcome by the light. And you live with that reality. For many of you tonight, that's not the case. Sensitivity to sin is at its all-time low best way to describe it is some of you are very, very numb. I mean, you could walk into a Miley Cyrus concert. God forbid, you know? <laughs> what in the world happened to that girl? And you could start jamming out to Wrecking Ball, and she's not wearing a darn thing. And in your heart, you're just like, right on, you know? And you're like, got your rock fist up. And like, nothing bothers you about the situation. This is awesome. I'm cheering a woman who's wearing nothing. And I'm loving the fact that she's like dropping F-bombs from the, you know? And Miley is just one example. I mean, 
She's a really good one, but she's just one example. <laughs> you start to become sensitive to those situations. So I just want to take a moment and ask you, are you growing? Paul longs for this church to grow. He longs to see their fruit increase. Because stagnation and complacency is death. And the reality is that's where I would say many of you are tonight. Numb to your sin, complacent. And so you're wondering, like, what do we do? And I want you to hang with me. Okay. So this verse, it ends. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look at this. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, my good dead friend, Charles Spurgeon, uh, had an amazing quote on bearing fruit. Check this out. You guys know who Spurgeon is? He died a long time ago, which makes him epic. Here we go. And he was from England, so uh, this, this will, you, you'll get his accent here. Fruitful in every good work, you say, right? Here is room and range enough in every good work. Have you the ability to preach the gospel? Preach it. Does a little child need comforting? Comfort it. Can you stand up and vindicate a glorious truth before thousands? Do it. Does a poor saint need a bit of dinner before, uh, from your table? Send it to her. Let works of obedience, testimony, zeal, charity, piety, and philanthropy all be found in your life. Do not select big things as your special key, but glorify the Lord also in, that's right, he says, littles. Like this is someone who has been transformed by the blood of Jesus. They're growing in knowledge. And as those two things combine, a changed heart, and an understanding of the gospel, there's a beautiful union. Many of you guys, you either land on high uh, knowledge pursuit or high like all in with your heart. I don't need to read the scripture. I can let my emotions run, run free. Where right knowledge or right doctrine meets right emotion, that's where we see the fruit of the spirit really being birthed out of our life. Every good work, Paul says. Now, verse 11 is insanely heavy. Again, like this jigsaw, Tetris kind of prayer. Here's what, here's what he says. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the endurance and patience with joy. Um, now, my son Dawson has come down with a bit of a, a sore throat so the last two nights, about 3 a.m., he wakes up, and all hell breaks loose, all right? He wakes up. He comes running downstairs. I'll just choose last night for an example. Comes running downstairs. He doesn't have strep. He's been to the doctor, okay? My son's pain tolerance, Dawson's, is very, very small, okay? I mean, the dude, like, you know, he thinks right now, like, there's some animal that's, like, scraping his, the insides of his throat, and his tonsils really aren't that swollen. But he comes running downstairs, I need Benadryl, you know, and he's just like grabbing all the meds, because we just leave them out uncapped just in case the kids wake up, you know. He's like pounding, <laughs> pounding Benadryl and Tylenol, what have you, right. He, he, has, he has a very, very small uh, scale of, of endurance. Like he, his pain tolerance is low, 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 low. Let's just agree right now that enduring anything is very difficult. We're great at endurance for like two, two minutes, right? Uh, many of us are living uh, like my worst race ever. I hated the 400. Like that one sprint lap around the track, I hated it. 
always maybe sick inside. But many of us, that's how we're living. Not living like life is a marathon. We're living like it's just one, one lap, like our endurance is so short term. But Paul doesn't say just have endurance. Look at this. He says have endurance and patience. In other words, don't just, don't just endure the suffering. Be patient in it. Now, some of you guys right now are having to endure. And let's just go ahead and be honest. It's insanely difficult to have endurance and then, like, allow that to be patient, right? Allow your patience to sit in that. God, seriously, how long do I have to endure this pain? How long do I have to journey through this? How, how like, God, when are you going to come and help? When are you going to show yourself? Enduring with patience is insanely difficult. And then he adds this, for all endurance and patience with what? With joy. Endure the hardship with tremendous, pain, uh, with, with tremendous patience and then add on top of it a hefty dose of joy. How in the world does this happen? I was talking to a good brother before um, the first service, and he, he's come here and uh, has found out that some cancer is back in, in, his, in his life. And he finished today his, his third day of chemo straight. And, um, and he's been back and forth with cancer. Like, it's come and it's gone. And uh, he comes up to me, and he's like, yeah, the doctor said I probably shouldn't be here tonight, but he's like, where else am I going to go, you know? And I was just looking at him, like, thinking, like, this is the exact picture of someone who's enduring with patience. And I know it's a struggle to have joy amidst it. My friends, this is a huge piece of your growth. Uh, How many of you right now are having to endure? And how do you feel like you're doing being patient in that endurance? And how many of you, with tremendous amounts of joy, are journeying through? So I was thinking about all these things, trying to best summarize this for you. And I found something that Paul wrote in another place. And I hope this encourages you as much as it did me. There's not a slide. I just want to read it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let me remind you of who Paul is. Uh, By this point, he's been beaten. Okay, he was on a ship as a prisoner the ship wrecks, he has to swim for his safety, and then he gets bit by a snake on the island. He's been left for dead. I mean, the dude has been beaten, smacked all over the gospel. He's definitely endured. He's definitely done that patiently, and he's writing Colossians from a prison cell. And we haven't seen any lack of joy so far, have we? So, so how, how does a man have that kind of heart? Because I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's living just saying, God, whatever, like whatever you want to do with this in the physical to advance the gospel, whatever I need to endure in the physical to advance the gospel with patience and with joy, then God, do it. Because I'm not interested in glorifying something in the physical, God, I'm celebrating what I have in you in the eternal. This is the kind of heart that has grown with a great knowledge of God and whose heart has been changed, saying, here I am, literally laying his own life on the altar of sacrifice, not because his sacrifice will earn a salvation, but because it will be an amazing symbol of obedience to a great God. Like, what if your whole life was just, God, here I am. Whatever school, whatever relationships, whatever workplace, whatever God you need to do to advance the gospel, 
That is my interest in being here. Is that yours? Would you say that your entire interest in being here is to see God advance the gospel? It starts to get pretty heavy pretty quick, doesn't it? And so picture Paul from a prison cell writing these things, yearning in urgency for these people to grow so that they will not be hindered by false teaching. And then he says, verse 12 and 13, and oh dear heavens, these verses are unbelievable. Look at this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and look at this, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Listen, if you're not a little bit fired up right now, it it may be a sign that you're not growing very much because this is an unbelievable text. He says three things primarily. Next slide. He says this. First, he has qualified you, he has delivered us, and he has transferred us. Do you guys remember the the 16-year-old driving test the day you got your license? you guys remember that? Come on. Let me tell you a little something, all right? In my city, Vandalia, Illinois, there was a cruise strip. Do, do, Do people still cruise these days? Nope? Okay. Well, my day was awesome because all your friends were there. But the problem was when you had your driving permit, you had to cruise with your mom, okay? So, you know, when I was 15, I'd be like, hey, mom, you want to go cruising? She's like, sure, you know? And you feel cool for about 30 seconds, you know? And you're like rolling all your buddies and like, hey, is that your mom? You know? <laughs> sure enough, right? And you're kinda, it's kind of weird. So when, when the finally, like I turned 16 and I turned 16 on, on a holiday, so I'd wait till the next day, but I go take my driving test. This is pre-cell phone, so pre-distraction, right? All, it was like me and my ADD. That's all I had to distract me. Do you remember how nervous you were? I mean, I was like 10 and 2. What if I hit a small child? You know, there's all kinds of, you know, chaos here. Like, this is, right? And, like, the guy just, you know, he's got that e-brake in front of him. And you're just waiting for him to, like, pop that thing and you go flying to the windshield or something crazy. But then, listen, then at the end of it, like, this, this dude right here has all of the power and authority to give you your license. It's crazy, isn't it? So you like, you like look at him nervously at the end like, I, I know I missed that one turn signal. And, you know, she was, I, I, think, I think she was moving there. And I, I just hit, nicked her leg. It, it's probably okay, you know. Um, and he, he, he like either qualifies you or not. Uh, many of you guys who will graduate college, you go through the same kind of journey, Right? All of the work, all of the effort, all of the intensity, all of the lack of studying. And then one day you walk across a stage and someone says, I now qualify you. You've done well. You've worked hard. You've accomplished it. So now take those images and understand when the scripture says, he has qualified you. Like, there's no stage to walk across. Uh, there's not a driving test. He took the test. He has qualified you. He's empowered you. He has said, because of me, because of my sacrifice, because of my perfect life, because I, of who I am, I have now qualified you. And what's the qualification that he's, that he's given you? How has he empowered you? Look, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
So he has qualified you, empowered you, not by anything that you've done, and then he's given you an inheritance. Now, in scriptural uh, understanding, an inheritance was reserved for the firstborn. And this was a big deal. Like, whoever was the firstborn, whoever had the rights to the inheritance, like, this was a massive, massive thing. And now in Christ, the firstborn over all creation, we together share in the inheritance. And look what else he's done. He's not just qualified us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now this starts to get a little weird. Some of you guys are the kinds of people that, like, Satan's under every rock. Right? Some of you guys are like, oh, there's Satan. Or some of you guys, when you're pulling into Walmart and you don't get the parking spot, Satan. Right? (laughs) Dang you, Satan. It's always... Creeping on me in Walmart, you know? That's the way some of you guys are. Others of you uh, don't even want to say the word because you saw the exorcism of Emily Rose and you're like, I don't even, like if I just even say Satan, like that whole thing might happen to me, right? (laughs) And so like there's this weird tension. What is the domain of darkness? How has he and what has he delivered us from in all of that? I did a teaching on demonology many years ago, and I've had some pretty interesting encounters throughout my years of ministry uh, that has prompted the, the realness of the domain of darkness. But there are nine mentions in the Old Testament of Hasatan. Hasatan is the Hebrew word for Satan. It means the accuser. Nine mentions. When Jesus shows up on the scene in the flesh, incarnate, all of a sudden, the demons come out of the woodwork. Uh, The disciples get called, hey, come and follow me, Jesus says. In one of the Gospels, it's recorded that the very first miracle that they see is an exorcism. I mean, how would you like that? Jesus like, come follow me. You're like, sweet, you know, and the disciples are back there playing Uno with each other. Like, this is going to be awesome, you know. Like, I bet Jesus is going to do some cool stuff. And then a dude with a foaming mouth walks up. And all of a sudden, it gets pretty real. I mean, these same guys see Jesus put demons in a herd of pigs and send them down into the lake. He, he sees, literally, spirits come out of people. So why is it that all of a sudden, when Jesus shows up, the enemy just seems very, very prevalent? Well, the, Jesus and the, the demons have a conversation, and it goes like this. Are you going to destroy us now? So they know they're in. Which also means they're real. Satan is real. The enemy is real. The domain of darkness is very real. Uh, I was sitting in my office five years ago. Very eerie day. Sitting across from a dude. He had called us and said, hey, I want to meet, meet with one of the pastors. He said, all right, man, you know, come on in. And he sits down and he starts telling me a story. And he says, Mark... Um, First of all, I want you to know I don't, I don't believe in all this hogwash, all the, all the God stuff that you guys do. But I'm scared. And I said, well, why are you scared? Uh, and he said, I was meditating in my car one day. Just, you know, trying to, trying to like make connections in the spiritual world, he said. And he said, from that point on, every single night, at the same time, every night, I wake up and there's a dark image over me. And I remember like sitting in my seat. And, you know, like getting the, this weird feeling 
Because knowing full well, listen, without the protection of Christ, if you start to open yourself up to the domain of darkness, it is real. My guess is if we were to pass the mic around this room, some of you have had some very real encounters with the domain of darkness. So what is the power of this verse? You've been delivered from it in Christ. I don't have to live my life fearing Satan anymore. Why? Because I'm in the grip of a great God, and that grip is not going to loose me. Like Satan doesn't like go at the hand of God and start pulling his fingers back, and then all of a sudden take me out. Once I'm his, I'm his. The domain of darkness can't infringe on me anymore. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so when I looked at my brother that day, I was just like, listen, bro, I'm telling you right now, what you're experiencing is very real. There's only one answer for you, and that's the person of Jesus who's conquered the darkness, who can deliver you from the domain of it. And I said, until that day, you will be haunted. I'm guaranteeing you. Because right now, he was, he, right then, he was running for the hills in fear. I don't have to live like that. At the same time, I recognize that for a while, Satan has been given dominion. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians says. He's been given power. Why? So that the glory of God may be escalated when our king smashes the head of the serpent one day. That's why. The dominion of darkness will be no more. The power of this passage is he has delivered us from that. Listen, for those of you guys who have come in here and all these things you're experiencing, like you feel like, man, you're experiencing the realness of the domain of darkness. Your only protection is Christ who's conquered all and is all. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and look, I love this, and transferred us to the kingdom. I don't, I don't play like all those war board game things. What are some of those things called? I don't even know. What? Chess? No. Ouija board? No. What? Yeah, no, not battleship. What's like the nerd games? Risk? Whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay? Catchphrase. All right? There, there you go. World of, World of Warcraft. There you go. For example. I know this. Listen to this. I know this. From all my extensive research of war board games, a kingdom is always better than a domain. You guys with me? Look at this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The word transfer, here's what it implies. Like this conveyor belt, it literally means convey. And so he's taken us, born into a dominion of darkness, and through the son and blood of Jesus, he has transferred us from that domain of darkness into a kingdom of his beloved son. That transfer has happened. The deliverance has happened. The empowerment has happened. All in the person of Christ. So I picture Paul from his cell saying, you have to understand these things. Keep growing in this knowledge because if this knowledge doesn't change you, I'm not sure what will. So my guess is uh, some of you guys have forgotten one of these things. You maybe have forgotten that he's the one that puts his stamp of approval on you. Maybe you've forgotten that he's the one that delivers you. You're still trying to do that on your own. Or, or maybe 
maybe you just forgot that you're actually now a child of the light. Listen, it may seem dark right now, but you're not a child of the darkness anymore. Uh, some of you guys are thinking, but, but Mark, what about that whole like once saved, always saved argument? Do you guys believe that here in Matthias? What we believe here is if saved, always saved. Once God calls me a son, he doesn't put me on the street. You guys see what I'm saying? But that's God's work. Once God calls me his son, he doesn't now say, now you're an orphan. It's actually the opposite way. I was an orphan and now I'm his son. And so all of this, the jigsaw, the Tetris, this prayer of Paul's ends where we began. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I feel like tonight in a very real way, I'm looking out at a whole bunch of people who some right now are in this very vulnerable place in your walk with God. You've come in here numb and you're wondering what's next. Uh, You're feeling lifeless. Like the word hasn't said anything to you in a while, your prayer life dead. And you're wondering, like, so, so how, how does all this function? How can I not be the barren tree anymore? Like, I, I want to, to bear fruit. The want in your verbiage has to find its way with heart change and a pursuit. The scripture says, draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. That is a promise that every single one of us tonight can claim victory in. Why? Because he's transferred us. I picture tonight a whole room full of people that no matter how you came in here, you believe that you can be forgiven for three or four years of flipping God off and lethargy. That you can be forgiven of that tonight. That the months that you have found yourself complacent and distancing yourself from God, that tonight you can find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. That all of the endurance that you're lacking God bringing you through some hard stuff to advance the gospel and your unwillingness to accept it tonight, receive forgiveness in Christ. It's yours. And so tonight, as a body, we get this awesome chance to celebrate this great meal of communion. This ancient tradition that began one night Passover, the Israelites, as they were getting ready to leave Egypt, and then after hundreds and hundreds of years of celebrating the Passover, as Jesus was with his disciples, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This body, this body will deliver you from the domain of darkness. This body will transfer you to a new kingdom. This body right here, receive it. It's in this body that you can have hope tonight. And then he held up the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is your hope now. This is what washes you clean now. My sacrifice is what will change it all. So receive this. 
Listen, I know that the struggle seems too mighty, that the sin seems too weighty. I know that the pain runs deep. I know all those things. But there's nothing that runs deeper than the blood of Christ. There's nothing that restores or provides hope like the one who has pulled you out of the darkness and has brought you into a light of life. So that means this is a celebration for you and I tonight. You can be forgiven. So tonight receive that. Come and pull off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and enjoy the promise of being transferred in Christ. Come when you're ready, church.